kids are goats, but I was a, always called, I guess I was called a goat all my life. But the children may be dismissed. <laughs> Man, boy, I felt the Lord just then touch me. I love that. <laughs> Don't you? The Lord, you just feel the Lord touch your body, man, and your mind. So, thank you, Jesus. Bless the children. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The Lord wants to do a lot with young people. Um, well, I believe uh, we're in a new season, okay? That's what I believe. Uh, I believe in the natural, you know, of course, 9-11. And, uh-oh, just had a little leak here. <laughs> Contact lens solution. <laughs> so I didn't, it's not what you think, it's my pants were wet. <laughs> Anyways, since 9-11, of course, in the natural, everything's been changing. Um, you know, we I was watching a program yesterday, on a financial program, and it was talking about, you know, since Enron and, and WorldCom and, and and those issues that have came come up, that the whole way that Wall Street is demanding a whole different way of doing business now. Uh, that these these corporate companies are going to have to do things different than what they've always done in the past as far as being able to be accountable and, and how the dividends and stocks, which I don't really understand any of that stuff, uh, is going to be managed. And, and, as they, and as I was hearing it, I kept feeling the Lord affirm to me, you know, in the natural, in the natural, in our nation, there's, we're in a new season. We're in a different season than what we were. But, but even more so in the spirit realm. I believe that in the spirit realm that we have, we have closed out a season. And don't leave your hand in the door because you'll get the door slammed on you. You hear what I'm saying to you? If you got your hand in the door and there's a door shutting in the spirit, if you got your hand or your foot or any part of your body and that thing will shut on you, isn't that right, Becky? She slammed my finger in the door this morning. <laughs> well, um... I believe, uh, you know, we've got to be asking God questions about this. We've got to be asking God, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? You know, what, what's, what, what's the scheme now? What are, we do, what are you doing, and how do we fit into your plan that you're doing today? Amen? That's the questions we need to be asking God. And, and that, this is the questions I've been asking God for a while um, because I've really sensed, sensed this. So um, I want to just talk to you a little bit about you know, the, the vision of, of things that I feel and the purpose that I feel like God's really calling us to, um, at least in our church. Okay? You all with me? This is sort of what I want to talk to you about. And I really want to just share a little bit this morning, you know, about the foundation of what I feel like God has shown me. You know, because you've got to have the right foundation, if you don't have the right foundation, you know, because your foundation does determine your destiny. Isn't that right? You know, you can't build a ten-story building on a one-story foundation. You've got to have the right foundation under you. So really what I want to talk to you about uh, this morning is, is, is simple. It's, it's real foundational. It's not like the whole story of really the things that I felt like God has shown me on, personally. But I'll tell you, that what I really do want to show you is where I believe God is calling us to go. And this is where I'm headed just on a personal level, and this is really where I believe God is calling us to go as a church. Amen? So, uh, turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and I want to I want to give you three things out of Acts chapter 1 that I believe that we have to do, okay, 
that God's calling us. These are like three keys. And, and not only do we need to do these things, but I believe these three things will actually release the activity of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that, that's cool, isn't it? Who wants the activity of the Holy Spirit in their life? You know, and so I believe we'll do these three things just on a, on a personal level. It will release the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. All right, Acts 1, verse 4. I'm going to just hit these things and make a couple of comments and then go on to the, the one I really feel God has spoken to me. It says, And being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. So the first thing God wants us to do and this season is to wait on Him. Waiting is important. We don't try to get ahead of God. We don't try to, to, to you know, if God, we see God doing something, we need to respond when He does it. We don't not need to try to generate things for God to do or for, to get God to do stuff. But we need to wait on Him and be watching and waiting and, and discerning what the, what the Spirit of the Lord's doing. Amen. So that was the first thing. Second thing, uh, verse 14, Acts 1. This, everybody probably knows all this stuff. It says, these continue with one accord in prayer and supplication. So the second thing is, is really need to be praying right now and talking to God about things. We don't need to be making decisions with our life. We don't need to be making financial decisions. We don't need to be making spiritual decisions based on anything except for from what when we talk to God and find out what God has got to say about these things. We really need to be seeking the Lord and really asking, Lord, what are you up to? What are you up to in the world? What are you up to in my personal life? What are you up to on my job? We really need to be asking God these things and seeking God for these things right now. Very critical. Amen. So we're going to, we're going to wait on the Lord and we're going to talk to God while we're waiting on Him. We're not just going to sit around and wait and <laughs> watch TV and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we need to seek the Lord for God. It's the third one, verse 15. It says, And those that... In, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. And it goes on, and it talks about Judas. Okay, all the way down to verse 20, they start about starting to, starting to deal with Judas, who, of course, had betrayed the Lord and wound up killing himself over his betrayal. And then in verse 26, it says, They cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was, re he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So they replaced one of the apostles during this time. So... The third thing that we need to be doing, that I believe God is doing, is going to force it on us, is restructuring. Okay? Restructuring or reorganization. In other words, I believe what God wants to do is restructure the church in America. Amen? I believe He wants to restructure the church. See, normally when we think about getting the Lord to move, we, we would think about waiting on the Lord, watching, praying, you know, seeking God for revival. We don't normally think about this third one. It's where God comes in and He starts restructuring things, reorganizing things. And you'll find that particular principle about God all the way through the Bible and all the way through church history. I mean, you know, Moses was a leader over God's people when he was in the wilderness when they were in the wilderness, but when they went into the promised land, God restructured the whole thing. Moses died, raised up a whole new leadership to take him into the promised land. That's a, a great example. Another great example was King Saul. He was the, the people's king. But God wasn't doing anything. But when God got ready to move in, in Israel, He replaced Saul with David. He brought a whole new structure, a whole new organization into the 
into the, into the nation. And if you go back and study the different kings of Israel, you'll see they went through terrible periods. And then all of a sudden, God would raise up a king who had a heart towards the Lord. And then God would start doing new things. In the New Testament, you know, you, you, you find this situation. Um, the Lord was moving powerfully in Jerusalem and all the Jewish, you know, act, you know on into the book of Acts. But then the Lord raised up Paul, the apostle, to go and reach the Gentile world. You know, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the old guard, so to speak, who did that. It wasn't the old guard back in Jerusalem that really went out beyond Peter just bringing the, you know, the the initial message. But Paul was the one who established the church in the Book of Acts all over the Gentile world. And you see it in church history. You know, there was a, a time in church history where, where you know, only us. You know, the so-called professional preachers had the Bible, and none of the regular people had them. And God raised up a man named Martin Luther to bring this thing we call the Great Reformation, to get the Word of God into the, to the hands of the people. And so you see, even in our lifetime, you can see how, you know, God would use certain people, and then suddenly you begin to see them people sort of fade from the scene. And God raised up a whole other leadership, a whole other government, to begin, only a few people in my life and I've seen have been consistent, like Billy Graham, who's been consistently there all the way. But you know, Billy, Billy's going to—he's an old man now. He's having a—he's having physical difficulties uh, preaching, and uh, it looks like his daughter—his you know, daughter's really looks like she's the one that's going to have that preaching the mantle, mantle on her. That it's going to be past her, not necessarily Franklin. I mean, he's got a tremendous ministry. But you see how God moves, and whenever God begins to do something new, He restructures the church. He restructures and reorganizes the leadership in the church. Are y'all with me? Stick with me. Um, turn to Ephesians 1, and I want to read this. Uh, remember I told you I was talking about foundations. Let me just read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. Amen. That, that's good news, isn't it? The forgiveness of sins. Anybody got any sins they need to be forgiven of? Well, the, Lord, the Lord's blood is sufficient. According to the riches of His grace. Hallelujah. Don't you love that? His grace. Man, don't ever take that stuff for granted. Don't ever take the blood of Jesus for granted. Don't ever take forgiveness for granted. Don't ever take God's grace for granted. That's, yeah, it'll mess you up, man, when you start taking that stuff for granted. We need to think about those things every day. Every day of our life, we need to think about Christ dying on the cross and shedding His blood for us and thanking Him for it and thanking Him for the, His grace that He has in your life. Don't, don't take God for, for granted. Don't take what He's done for granted. You hear what I'm saying to you? It'll, it'll make you an ornery, hard-headed, mean, difficult person. I'm, I'm telling you, don't take those things for granted. But it says in verse 8, "...which He made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dissipation or dispensation of the fullness of times..." He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him. Okay, so God wants to bring everything 
not only in heaven, but in earth. He wants to bring it. Now, that word dispensation, which I know your NIV Bible doesn't have that word in it, but actually that word is in the original language. And, that's, and, and this is what that word means. This is really important. It means the management of a household or of household affairs, specifically the management, oversight, administration of others' property. Okay, so that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the, it's talking about the structure. It's talking about management of, of, of somebody's property. Okay, and the point is, is most Pentecostal and charismatic or whatever you want to call yourself kind of Christians, or you may not want to call yourself either one, most of, most of those people tend to believe that God doesn't want any sort of structure in place. God doesn't really want much organization and boundaries and stuff. That's what we tend to believe. So the Holy Spirit can move. We need, you know, we need this freedom. We need, you know, so, so God can do His work. But actually, God is very much interested in structure. He really is. That's why He did that deal with Judas is because He was very concerned about the structure of the church. God doesn't want to organize the power out of the church. He wants to organize the power into the church. And see, that's really what God is trying, I believe, in the earth today. There is a changing of the guard. There's a changing of the guard going on in the spirit realm. And you need to ask yourself, God, where do I fit into this changing of the guard? Because I think in the Psalms it says God raises up one person and sets another person down. You know, the promotion comes, you know, not from the east, not from the west, but from God. And God is looking for people that He can raise up in this hour. He's looking for them to set them in His structure, in His government, in His organization. He's looking to build a wineskin that can contain what God wants to do now, not what He did yesterday. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? And what we've got to do is, that's why I'm saying we've got to ask God, Lord, what are you doing today in the earth? What are you doing in, in the natural, in this nation? You know, are we going to become irrelevant people? Man, that's the last thing we want to do. You know, yesterday, you know, that was yesterday's move of the Lord. Okay, you with me? All right, turn to Hebrews 10. I'm just going to give you a few scriptures. You might want to hold your finger in Ephesians. I'm going to make you go back there. I'm going to ask you to go back there. Um, but let me, let me just read this Hebrews 10. Verse 24 through 25. <clears throat> I'm sort of excited about this stuff because I've been thinking about this stuff for a long time and trying to really get, because I have felt, this is what I have felt in my spirit. I have felt the Lord saying this over and over, over and over to me. There's a changing of the guard. There's a changing of the guard. And he's been saying, you know what? You better find out something. You better find, you know, <laughs> you better find out what's in there. All right, verse 24, Hebrews 10. This is powerful. It says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us consider one another, not to pick on each other, not to, to criticize each other, but to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more the more as you see the day approaching. All right, the assembling of ourselves together, he's not talking about just good church attendance, okay? You know, that's part of it, but that is not what he's not, he's not talking about that there. 
God is talking about assembling a people. You know what assembling something is? You know, you put something together, you fit it together. And every piece fits into a certain place and certain position in this assembly. It, it is good. And that's really what God is saying. He's saying, listen, you know, as the day, much more as the day approach, much more as the day approach, God is saying, I want to restructure the church. I want to reassemble the church. I want to reorganize the church into a different thing than what you've seen and what you've yet experienced. And he's saying it's much more, much more. The day is approaching. Isn't the day approaching? I mean, it should be. And you see that one of the classic examples in the book of Acts, you know, you had the church at Jerusalem, which was the most dominant church for the first few chapters. But in chapter 13, everything shifted away from Jerusalem. It shifted to Antioch. Okay? Suddenly, Jerusalem was like the old model of church which was a church that basically gathered everything to themselves. And Antioch became the model in the Bible, and it's really the last model really given to us in the Bible, a church that has teachers and prophets and a church that releases you know, and sends out missions. That's the last real thing that the, you know, the book of Acts describes as, as far as church is concerned. So you had this shift away from Jerusalem, which was wonderful for its moment in time, but it, his time was over with. And so Antioch came in, into being. God assembled something new. Okay? Are you all with me? Or are you thinking, man? All right, now go back to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. God really has a vision for what He wants to do, I believe. I really believe He has a vision. You know, He's up to stuff. He might not be up to what He was doing yesterday, but He's up to something. And we've got we to gotta get in with Him on it. That's what I want to do. I want to get in with Him. I don't want to sit around and linger about yesterday. I mean, yesterday's over. I can't do a thing about what happened yesterday. If I can do something about what God's doing today, I'm saying, I want in on what you're doing today, Lord. All right, I'm going to just jump down right down to verse 16, Ephesians 4, just in the middle. It's talking about Jesus. You can just, you know, add that in. Jesus from whom the whole body, talking about the body is the church, is the people of God, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying itself in love. So, all right, there's a couple of things. Number one, what every joint supplies and what every part does it share. See, those are, are, are indications from God what He wants to do in the church. He wants to assemble a church where every person has a place in that church. Every person. Every person has a place. Every person has a part to play in the church. Now, that's, that's what it says. Now, if you jump, move back up, jump back up to, to uh, verses 11 and 12. It says, He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For, and this is the reason there's pastors, this is the reason there's prophets, this is the reason there's apostles. Okay? It's not the reason that we have given them. We've given them a different purpose. But this is the purpose. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That is why... Those offices exist, and that is the only reason. 
But you see, we don't see them like that, okay? We don't see them like that. We have a whole different view of those offices, okay? Are y'all with me? See, the leadership structure in the Bible is the one that equips the people to do the work. That's what the that's that's the biblical model for leadership. That's it right there. It's not one who does all the work. It's one who equips, helps others to do the work. Okay, that's that's the that's what it says. Now here's an interesting scripture. It's First John three two. You don't have to turn to that right now, but maybe later. It says, "We know that when He is revealed, talking about Jesus, we shall be like Him." For we shall see him as he is. So here's what happens. If we don't have a revelation of Jesus, if we don't see the Lord, guess what? what? Guess what happens to the Lord? The Lord starts looking like us. You hear what I'm saying to you? When we don't have fresh vision of Jesus, we start conforming Jesus into how we look. So we have a model of church. We have a model of church life. Because we don't really have a revelation of what of the Lord's model. We don't really have a look at what is it. So we have made the Lord more like us instead of us being more like Him. Now that's the truth. That's what's going on. So here's what happens. When you read those scriptures like I just read to you, you're faced with an issue. And this is what the issue is. And you're faced with that issue every time you sit down and read the Word of God. This is the question. Am I going to conform? Am I going to be transformed into this Word? Or am I going to conform this Word to me? Now, that's really our question when we read the Bible. Is this, am I going to allow these, these words, am I going to allow it by the Spirit of God to transform me and change me into that? Or am I going to make that fit what I'm doing? And so what happens, and what has happened, and I'm not going to submit, but I'm just talking about us. What happens to us, and, what, and I believe it's happened to us, is we have tried to conform the Lord to our way of doing church. That's what I thought, that's what we've done. We've tried to make Him fit, instead of going to these scriptures like the ones in Ephesians, we've tried to make pastors and teachers and preachers and all that. We want them to do certain things instead of finding out what the Bible says and say, no, we don't want you doing that stuff. This is what we want you to do. We want you to do what it says there. And if you're not going to do that, then you're not a real pastor or teacher or evangelist, apostle, or prophet. You're fake. Because that's what the Bible says. Are y'all with me? Now, no. Here's the issues we are facing. Okay? The issues we're facing. Sounds terrible. All right, number one. We are conditioned by a spectator form of Christianity. We are conditioned by a spectator form of Christianity. A few perform for the many who cheer them on. Okay? Did you get that? A few perform for the many. Is that not right? And that is totally not in the Bible. I can't find it in the Bible. Can you find it in the Bible? I, you know, if you can find it in the Bible, then everything I'm saying to you is not right. I've been looking for that in the Bible. All right, many like this. All right, that's an issue. Many like this form of Christianity, this form of church, and do not want to change. They're happy with it. 
You know, if you can just go to, go to church and let somebody, let, let's let the music team entertain us. Let them worship the Lord for me. And I'll stand up and raise my hand every once in a while. Let somebody else preach. Let somebody else study the Word for me and work it all out for me and then tell me, you know, and, and then I'll come and take the notes and then I'll come back next week and do the same, do the same, do the same. Are y'all with me? So, so many like it. Now, there are some who don't like it, okay? But many of the ones who don't like it, the reason they don't like it is they feel like they need to be up in front being cheered on. They don't like it for the wrong reasons. It's because they're looking to be, I want to be up front. I don't like the way church is doing, but if they were up front, they would like it. You see what I'm saying to you? It's the truth. I can tell you from personal experience it's the truth. I'm confessing sin this morning. Okay? Now, there are some people who do have a legitimate ministry outside the church. Okay? And it's right for them to simply come to church, be encouraged, be blessed, be equipped, not really do a whole lot of ministry in church, but them to come there to be helped. And then they walk out the door, go into their businesses or schools or, or whatever, and they do their ministry there. There are people who have that legitimate ministry. I believe a lot of people, I think we should have more. But here's the problem. Most, most of us, let's just get real, most of us ain't doing anything in the church. Ain't. <laughs> For everybody who don't like bad English, not, we're not doing anything in the church and we're not doing anything out there. Now that's the real truth. Those are the issues we're facing. Are y'all with me? You see what I'm saying to you? Okay. God, I believe God wants to assemble something that will hold the new wine that He wants to pour out. But we had to have this change in the guard. We had, to, we had to start transforming, being transformed, and start conforming to the Word of God. Now, that's not something you... Here's what the Lord's saying. You're not going to get there in a day, Byron. You are not going to get there in a day, son. You're going to have to take one step at a time, okay? One step in front of the other. It's like a little child. I'm going to tell you, somebody's little baby in here, it may turn out to be a, a world-class sprinter. But they're not a world-class sprinter now as a little baby. They're just learning how to put one foot in front of the other. That's, that's how you take these things. You just don't... You see what I'm saying? God's looking for people who have some wisdom, some daggone sense about them. You know, about stuff. He don't want to just destroy people's lives because, oh, we see this in the Bible, we're going to destroy everybody over it. That's not the Lord. God's looking for some godly wisdom and leadership that would help lead the people of God into what God has. You see what I'm saying to you? So we've got to go back to something really basic to get there. Okay? Y'all with me? Turn to Malachi, chapter 4. Does everybody in the room understand sort of what I've been trying to say? I mean, you sort of with me on the same track at least, kind of, you know? Yeah, it is awesome. It really is. And i got lots to stay on this. I've been studying this for a long time. God's been talking to me about this a long time. And I'll be daggone some of it. I just couldn't make any sense of for a long while. So, but I'm not going to try to tell you everything at one time. i got some months of stuff I want to talk to you about. I've studied Jesus I started studying Jesus. How does Jesus do stuff? I started finding out Jesus, the way he was doing stuff, and the way the Gospels read that Jesus did, I'm thinking, nobody does it like that. Nobody's doing it like he did. We've got to start, we've got, this is what we've got to do. We've got to adapt his message. 
tell you one story. Miss Ann and Miss Doug know about Brother Charles Defone. Remember him? This guy was in uh, was in Zimbabwe last year. Remember him, Matthew? He one irritating rascal. <laughs> That's what he was to me. He was an irritant to me. Here's what this guy would do. This guy had an unreal ministry. He'd get up and preach some stuff and say some stuff, and then he would call people up for healings, and people were getting healed. People got healed of deafness, of AIDS, and all kinds of other maladies. And it was, but he was so irritating about it. And this is what made him irritating. He said, no, he said, I don't have a gift of healing. He said, this is what I do. This is what the Bible says. This is what must happen. That was his whole approach to it. And I was, and he, but he seemed cocky to me, okay? Seemed arrogant to me. That's why I was so thrown off by him. But I, you couldn't be thrown off by his results. And, uh, Paula Oric, she was trying to talk to him about her experience with my experience. And he said, wait a minute. Your experience means nothing. That's what he said. What does the Bible say? And it, it offended me really bad at the time, but challenged me greatly. And when I, that was the one thing I came away with from that Zimbabwe trip is, you know what? I've got to find out what the Bible really says. I got to get in here and I got to dig into the Gospels and find out what Jesus is really saying and how Jesus really did it. And so I've spent a year doing that, and I have found out some stuff. He don't do it like he's not like us, you know. He is not like us. He has a whole different methodology and a whole different approach to dealing with people than we do. You hear what I'm saying to you? So it would behoove us to go back to the Gospels. I encourage you to do that and start saying, Lord, I just want you to talk to me about how you did things and tell me how I can apply that in my life. Amen? So, you know, it's going to take you a while unless you're, I'm a pretty slow learner and, you know, setting my ways about stuff. And, but the Lord knows how to get your attention. I'm telling you, He will shut upset the apple cart in your life to get your attention. He will. He's upsetting the apple cart in this nation, I believe, to get this nation's attention. And we, he's not really gotten it yet, but he will. But anyway, Malachi chapter 4, and we be ending on this. And I got, like I said, I got much more to say. I've got some real practical things that I believe in the next couple of months I'm going to be talking to you about, about how, you know, about this, this subject. And, um, but it says in verse 5 of Malachi 4, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So, I like the first part and the great part, but I don't really like the dreadful part.